0: Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the writer's block. Hello, my name is Christina Sunley, and I'll be reading from The Tricking of Freya my first novel. This passage is from the opening of the book. The Tricking of Freya, Chapter 1 You want a bit of Birdie? Try this, a June afternoon, early 1970s, on the beach at Gimli. Bertie in a skirted turquoise swimsuit and cat-eye sunglasses, lounging legs crossed at the ankles on her aluminum chaise just past forty and still glamorous on her good days. Not a movie star, but a kind of star you don't have a name for. You're just past eight and far from glamorous. Bertie compares you, kindly, to an egret as you stride the beach, your legs long and skinny as stilts, your wispy white blonde hair tufting in the wind. Your eyes a blue so light they startle. See? Bertie is dangling something in her hand, something small and glistening, jewel-like. You've played this game before. She's going to throw it, and you're going to catch it, by mouth. You stand a few feet from the edge of the blanket, bare toes clenching sand, arms swinging restlessly at your sides. Your eyes fix on the prize. One, Bertie teases, two... Come on, you shriek. Three, Bertie tosses the thing in the air. It's a single mandarin orange segment, straight from the tin. You're a dog, no, a seal, a trained dolphin, leaping up, snapping your jaw, swallowing the slippery minnow whole. Orange syrup dribbles down your chin. You smack your lips in citrus triumph. Bertie claps and laughs, claps and laughs. Bravo, Elskon. bravo. Elskan means love in Icelandic, like honey or deer. Bertie always calls you Elskan, then tosses you another Mandarin fish. Gimli is Icelandic for heaven, except this Gimli isn't in heaven or even Iceland, but on Lake Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Bertie lives in Gimli with your ama, siga. Ama means grandmother. Avi means grandfather. Your avi was 101 years old when you were born, except he was already dead. Some words are Icelandic and some are English. Mama is the same in both. Your mama and Bertie share a mother, so they're sisters. You don't have a sister or a brother or a father, you remember. Every year from your eighth on, you and your mother take the train from Windsor, Connecticut to Grand Central to Winnipeg to spend the summer on the lake at Gimli with your people, in an old white farmhouse with song-yellow trim and book-lined walls. The house is called Adi. In Iceland, even houses have names, and some in Gimli do, too. After a place where famous writers lived, like Simondur the Learned, a wizard who rode the back of the devil disguised as a seal. And Snorri Sturluson, esteemed historian and saga scribe, was raised at Adi, too, He's one of your ancestors. Bertie says writers run in the family, all the way back to Iceland, to the greatest Viking poet, Eilt Skaltegrimson. You descend from him. And your grandfather's uncle, the famous farmer poet, Palt. And of course your grandfather, Oliver. And you? And me, Bertie admits. Me too, you want to ask, but don't. The ancestor poets race through your mind in a line, crossing frozen ocean, one after the other, words flying off their heels in a spray of ice, skating all the way back to Iceland, eilt and Snora and Palt, your grandfather Oliver, who died before you were born, your auntie Bertie. Why not Mama, too? It's something you're born with. Your mother can sing and play the piano, embroider and knit, A very talented woman in her way, but she's no poet. Does she want to be? Hardly. You can't imagine not wanting it. Words live inside you, rearranging themselves in your mind like building blocks. A shy fly, a pig's wig. This before you can spell or even write, when words are pure sound. Plants at a dance, a lonely bonely... Strings of words to make your mother laugh. But it is Bertie who says, You have an ear, a tongue. Doesn't everyone? If it's hot at night and the mosquitoes keep buzzing you awake, you can knock on Bertie's door, and sometimes she'll let you in, and you can lie in your white cotton nightie on Bertie's four-poster bed, watching her fingers dance along the typewriter keys, like your mother playing piano. Except it's a different kind of music, typing, like a rainstorm or hail. Bertie's been working on the same poem forever, one poem years long. What's it called? It changes. At the moment, I'm calling it Word Meadow. You smother a giggle with your hand. Bertie could get mad if you laugh, but she doesn't. Word Meadow is a kenning for tongue, she explains. And I suppose now you'll want to know what a kenning is. She sits beside you on the bed and rubs your head like a pup's. A kenning is a different name for a thing. Instead of calling the sun the sun, you can call it a day star. Why not use its real name? It's boring, that's why. The old poets were never content with just one or two words for a thing. Masters of periphrastic trickery. Magicians of poetic circumlocution tossing Kennings right and left, Bertie's speeding up, the pupils of her eyes widening black saucers, shiny as record vinyl. You're older now, nearly eleven, but even if you lived to be a hundred, you'd never keep up with Bertie. Not when she's revving, buzzing, humming words. Kennings were a way for poets to show off, verbal razzmatazz of the Vikings— A fierce warrior poet like our infamous forebear, Elt Skaltegrimsson could choose from over a hundred kennings for the word sword alone. Bertie shakes her curlered head in wonderment. A marvel how those Vikings loved their swords. Problem is, a thousand years later, the poems don't make sense, because most of the kennings reference Norse mythology. And who remembers the old myths anymore? A common kenning for poetry was Odin's mead. But if you don't know the story of how Odin tricked the giants out of their meads so he could imbibe the gift of verse, you'd be utterly lost any time a poem made reference to the Allfather's malt surf or the raven god's holy drink. That's why our ancestor Snorri Sturluson wrote down all the Norse myths in the 12th century, so that Iceland's new Christian poets would understand what the Kennings meant. Without Snorri, Those myths would be lost to us for eternity. Bertie pauses for the barest fraction of a second. She is pacing now, back and forth in front of the window, in nothing but her pink teddy. It doesn't matter. There is no one to peer in and see her. At 2 a.m. all Gimli sleeps, save you and Bertie. Her words swirl your mind, a vast Milky Way of glittering word stars most of it far beyond your grasp. But you're used to that, to being drawn into word spells that riff like the jazz music she plays on her phonograph late at night. But sped up, 78 RPM, talking faster than the speed of light. Getting talky, your mother calls it. Bertie's getting talky. Sometimes Bertie gets so talky she stops making sense. That's when your mother says, Bertie's going over. Over what? But not tonight. You hear logic in Bertie's voice, even if you can't follow it. Today, no one but a scholar can wade those kenning-thick verses, Bertie continues, curlers bouncing off her shoulders, kennings wrapped within kennings, and translators beware. As your Ave Oliver well understood, it's nearly impossible to translate skaldic verse into English. Please promise me, baby, she comes and sits on the edge of the bed, turns on you her vast mental enthusiasm. Promise me you'll never read those poems in translation, some of the greatest pagan verses, the most magnificent poetry ever written, reduced to drivel. She looks as if she's about to weep. You nod, happy to promise her this or anything. What's a scholar? Someone who studies things. A schooler. Are you a scholar? Me? Bertie snorts. I'm no scholar, baby. I'm a pretender, a dabbler, a dilettante, heir to the air, a quack of the worst kind. Tell me one of the ones for sword. One of the what? The Kennings, for sword. You said there were a hundred. Let's see. There's striker, and lying striker, and life quencher, and wind bright. And some really gory ones. You wouldn't want to hear those. You would. Okay then. Leg biter, pain waiter, corpse pain, skull crusher, terrifier, pale maker, night bringer. And then there are the bloody ones. Too bloody for you. No, they're not. Don't tell your mother. I won't. Bertie whispers blood band, blood warp, blood eddy. Blood waker, blood grip. And here's a kenning for tongue, sword of speech. And word meadow, you add. That's the other one for tongue, like the name of your poem. Is it a meadow because words sprout on your tongue like flowers? On a good day, Bertie says. On the good days they do. A bad day. Your mother sends you upstairs to knock on Bertie's door because it's past noon, and Bertie isn't out of bed yet. Go away. Her voice is scratchy, thick. You bite your lip. But the day star came out from behind the clouds. Mama says you'll take me to the beach. A hard silence. I want you to. More silence. Please? You know what you are. The voice has changed now. It's low, a spider creeping over gravel. Do you know what you are? You hold your breath on the other side of the door. You're a pest. No wonder I can't get any work done. But you're not even working. You haven't heard a single drop of raining type for days. How do you know what I'm doing, you little sneak? You think I don't know how you lie with your ear to the wall every night? Mamma's little spy, her tattler. So go tell your mother this. She is speaking slowly now, mean slow. Leave me the hell alone. You try not to cry on the way down the stairs. You can't tell your mother what Bertie said to say, or it'll start a wild fight. And besides, Bertie doesn't mean it. That's what she says afterward. After a week of living in her nightgown, hair lank and snarled, voice rusty and eyes dull, all the beauty saps out of her and the faults of her face rise to the surface. Her eyes drift too close together. Her mouth slackens. Her plump cheeks sink into saddlebags. She stares at the floor, the wall, nothing. And then one day, she emerges from her room again, blonde hair curled and shining, mood sunnier than sun. Come here, Elskun, and kiss your rotten aunt, her cheeks high and apple bright. You know I don't mean it, baby, when I say mean things. You know that, don't you? You nod, though you're never sure. Your mother says Bertie's moods turn on a dime, whatever that means. You think of Bertie like lake weather. She shifts fast. You learn to keep alert, read the signs. A dark flash of the eyes, a mean twitch of her lip. You learn when to take cover, when it's safe to emerge into Bertie's light again. to subscribe to the writer's block and hear more stories please visit kqed.org/writersblock the writer's block is produced by kqed